You're listening to The Stock Universe with fund manager at New Deal Invest, Mass Christiansen, and the previous professional badminton player and now private investor, Matthias Boll. Welcome to The Stock Universe. We're living through an era of unprecedented change to our society as well as our economy. Make no mistake about it. Growth is not just a financial issue, it is a strategic issue. Welcome to this third episode about uh, cybersecurity. We have uh, Convecity here, uh, Simon He and Jordan Lambert. Uh, welcome. Yes, thank you for having us. And we're going to talk about uh, cloud security uh, today. In our previous podcast, we talked about network security and um, endpoint uh, security or uh, security operations. So welcome Convexity, please uh, introduce uh, yourself. What is uh, Convexity? Yeah, sure. So Convexity is an independent equity research shop whereby we cover both technology and financials, whereby we can deliver better insights for investors. And we mainly cover three uh, industries, cybersecurity, data, and the general productivity SaaS. And from time to time, we also cover special situations in the enterprise tech and the, the consumer tech. And the way how we generate differentiated views and information edge is through looking at what's going on within a company's product, their architecture, and the vision. And through that understanding, we can understand the industry more comprehensively. We can understand who are the winners within one industry and who are the losers. And we also differentiate our analysis with taking a look at what's going on within the startups and who are the cutting edge startups that may potentially disrupt incumbents or who are the publicly traded companies who have great technology that will win over startups. And that's the place where we really add tons of value to our readers. Yeah, and I can, uh, we, we use you in, in New Deal uh, Invest and uh, yeah, you've really helped us have a more long-term view on, uh, on the technology companies. And that's really about having a differentiated view on, on their te- technological edge. So uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's a great pleasure to, to have you here. And um, Jordan, maybe you could give a brief uh, recap on, on the previous uh, episodes, what we discussed there. Yes. Okay. Thanks, Mads. Um, all right. So this is the fourth episode of the cybersecurity series. Um, in the very first episode, we talked about the big picture of cybersecurity. We talked about how the industry has evolved a ton over the last decade and more recently because of the pandemic and the rising usage of cloud computing. Um, we also talked about why cybersecurity is becoming more important with, as, as a part of IT. Um, but in that episode, we also talked about why the average investor might find it a bit tricky to get their head around the industry. Um, so in that episode, we, we aim to make it more digestible by introducing some analogies to break down the complexity. And uh, we, we, in that episode, we also divided the industry into four pillars which are network security, security operations, cloud security, and identity. And that kind of provided a roadmap or a framework for the following episodes to be based on. Um, so in the second episode, we focus on the first pillar of cybersecurity, which is network security. And we talked about how SASE is the new paradigm for network security. And we talked about 
our view on how we see the market leadership changing there and what the implications are for investors. And then in the third episode, we talked about the second pillar, which is security operations, also known as SecOps. And we talked about why it's uh, becoming more important, um, mainly because of the rise in volume and sophistication in cyber attacks, and also the growing enterprise, uh, sorry, the growing digital sprawl of enterprises. And in that episode, we also explained that the SecOps stack is made of three layers. And, and in and one of those layers is endpoint security. And we we, we also talked about a number of players um, that are looking promising in each of those layers. And that leads us on to the fourth episode of this series, uh, where we're looking at the third pillar of cybersecurity, which is cloud security. And it's a very specialist area of cybersecurity um, because as more and more enterprises um, are moving to the cloud and they are building more software, running more software and consuming more software from the cloud. So it requires a specialist set of skills. So yeah, without further ado, I'll, I'll let Simon add a little bit more color into the, the intro on this fourth episode. Yeah, so so let, let's talk about the categorization itself. So uh, many experts, and we do agree with them is that um, would we'll say is that cloud security maybe is not an independent category because if you take a look at the uh, technologies within cloud security, sometimes it's just uh, security operations for cloud, or sometimes it's endpoint security for cloud, or sometimes it's just network security for cloud. But because this is a podcast for investors, and then if you take a look at who are the emerging startups that got huge amount of fundraising, they are all cloud security startups. So we believe that for the investment uh, purpose only, um, we, cloud security deserves to be an independent category. And then why is it important and why we should uh, really uh, take a closer look at it is because for investors in general, you need to invest in the tailwind, the long-term tailwind. And obviously cloud transformation is one of the biggest uh, long-term tailwind for the enterprise IT. So cloud security is riding on the second derivative of the growth of the cloud infrastructure itself. So that is a great environment that investors need to find an exposure to because maybe cloud uh, infrastructure growth itself is a little bit of a consensus and every investor uh, you know, knows that it's a great investment. But if you are able to find differentiated views in the second derivative of the cloud infrastructure's growth, whereby you invest in the cloud security, then it may provide you a better information edge and the risk reward may be slightly better. So cloud security is definitely a key category that investors need to watch as it, it is the most growthy and the most emergent uh, stack within the cybersecurity. So uh, about uh, cloud security, I, I I would love for you to um, to if, if you can make it a little bit more ta- tangible for me. Uh, I think a lot of people don't. Re- I wouldn't know where where is it. Uh, where is the cloud security installed, and um, how should we see it in in the tech stack? Um, and then, then how is it different from uh, network security? So I think um, what I'm asking about is where is it, it sort of located compared to what we've talked about uh, earlier? Yeah, to, to appreciate why cloud security 
is different and why it needs its own category and where, where it is um, within the entire enterprise infrastructure. Um, it, it's worthwhile to see why pre-existing approaches to cybersecurity don't work very well in the cloud. Um, so if we think about the on-prem world, um, think about a data center that is managed by an enterprise on their own premises. And that data center is fixed. It doesn't move. And also the assets and data inside that data center do not move. So network security in this on-prem world was relatively straightforward because you could have a single gateway that is in between the data center and the rest of the internet that monitors all the traffic, all the good and the bad traffic. Um, and get, get using the castle and moat analogy that we used in previous uh, episodes, uh, that single gateway is kind of like the bridge that goes across the moat. And then you have uh, some guards in, at the gate that either allows passive, uh, people into the grounds of the castle or, or denies them entry. Um, and then also in this on-prem world, you've got endpoint security that we covered in uh, the security operations episode. Um, it's relatively straightforward in the on-prem world because your data center and the components are static. And therefore, installing software onto a server in order to protect it and managing all that is relatively straightforward. However, as enterprises moved more and more assets and data to the cloud, expedited by the pandemic, um, enterprise operations were no longer static. In fact, they was quite dynamic. So you, you would have um, the, the um, assets and data would frequently change their location in, in the cloud. And also instances of those assets and data would increase in number rapidly and then also shrink down in accordance to demand fluctuations and demand fluctuations from the enterprise internally and also from the enterprise's customers. Um, and furthermore, you'd have assets and data scale from one region in the cloud up to multiple regions in the cloud and then back down according to, according to the demand. And so it was no longer viable to have a single gateway protect all the assets and the data in the cloud like you did in the on-prem world because it was just too dynamic. Also, endpoint protection was more difficult uh, because these instances of hardware that is hosting the, the assets and data or the applications increase rapidly and decrease rapidly. So it's just not very easy to manage. So instead, there needed to be a new approach to fit this new paradigm. And cloud security emerged as a security without gateways, without agents. Um, and basically how it works is cloud security vendors will use uh, the APIs of cloud service providers like AWS. And an API um, is basically an interface that connects you to, and gives you visibility of a third-party environment. So these cloud security vendors use the cloud service providers' APIs to see what's going on in the cloud environment, find out what's happening on the servers, what's happening in the application, see what users are doing in that environment. So this is a, just a much more fluid approach to security to match the dynamic nature of the cloud. You know, you couldn't kind of uh, shift and lift and, and transplant the previous on-prem tools into the cloud because they're just um, not adaptable enough. 
So um, when a company wants to install uh, cloud security, I've heard it's it's a cumbersome process, but um, how does it, it work? Um, um, is it installed in on-premise or is it installed uh, at Snowflake or AWS or where where is it installed and how is it deployed when you when you buy it as a company? Yeah, so um, yeah, a, a quick analogy is that um, so first first of all, um, one acronym to summarize all sorts of um, technologies for cloud security is called CNAP which stands for Cloud Native Application Protection Platform. And then within this CNAP framework, there are three major components. So the first one is called configuration management, or we call it agentless security. The second is runtime security, or we call it agent-based security. And the third is just code security. So the way how you think about it is that one quick analogy is just about, you know, previously, Without cloud security, you just live in the on-prem world whereby you have your own data center, you buy your own land, and then you buy, you, you build your own house, and then you need to maintain and control all the security. But for cloud, it's public cloud, so you share the tenants with each other. It's like moving to an apartment within a building whereby you share uh, the building with, say, 100 tenants. And then in that building, the security is a little bit different because you can still do the traditional runtime security or agent-based security whereby you send a physical guard to your apartment and then protect your apartment. But there's another way that you can secure uh, your apartment, which is called agentless, whereby you don't send a physical guard to the apartment, uh, to within your apartment. Instead, you just ask the property management saying that I wanted to gain the access to say the security camera outside of my apartment, but within the building, such that I can track what's going on outside of my apartment, but still within the building. And that agentless way of doing the security is easier because you no longer need to send uh, you know, guards to an apartment. So for example, if you own 100 apartments, then in a previous agent-based security world, you need to install these agents send a physical guard to each of those 100 apartments. But using the agentless technology, you don't. You just ask for the property management for the authorization, whereby you can track what's going on you know, outside of that 100 apartments. And then you can um, make sure that it is secured. So it looks a little bit like uh, security operations where you're monitoring what is going on and is that... Yes, um, the the kind of the agentless um, solutions are very much about, um, as I say, they they uh, are using APIs, which stands for application programming interfaces, where to to collect telemetry, in in other words, um, of of what's going on in the cloud environment, and then um, a security analysts can use that telemetry to to find out where the, the security threats are, and and they can respond accordingly. So there, there is um, an overlap with security operations, certainly, uh, but it does require specialist skills um, in, in cloud security because of the, the uniqueness of the environment. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, another way to think about it is that cloud security is a shared responsibility model, whereby it means like 
for Bandersite AWS. They are the owner of the building, but they are only responsible for the security of the building. But they are not responsible for the security of the apartment. Your apartment within their building, and that is your responsibility. And then to somewhere or the other, if you are using the agent that's security, it's like you're ask you're asking for the authorization of the property management, whereby you can do the security service from the property management perspective, but you don't go inside of the apartment itself. And to do that, yes, you can use the security operation, but you know, it's that scalable. You need to hire a bunch of people that is intense labor work. But what these cloud security vendors can do is that it is able to standardize and make it, make it more automated. So one example of, about the configuration management is something called CSPN, Cloud Security Posture Management, whereby it's just so, it just happens that a lot of people, when they rent the apartment, and then sometimes they just keep the door open and they never close it. And then hackers can come in. <laughs> so, you know, there are so many easy lower hanging fruits that you can do from agentless uh, approach, whereby you can just add as the security service within the property management. And then you just check, is there any door left open and without, you know, any guy within the apartment protecting it? Or you need to check, um, you know, if the key uh, is lost and then, uh, you know, it's stolen by someone else outside of your apartment. And then they can have the, they can use this key to gain the access to your apartment. So there are so many uh, lower hanging fruits that you can do. And these things can be automated uh, by developing a, ded a dedicated product like CSPM instead of, you know, asking, hiring a physical library and then to track these then these these things uh, manually. Guys, last time we talked a little bit of a size a size of this uh, entire cybersecurity market, and it was mentioned that it's about 200 billion per year. So what portion does cloud security have here? And also please elaborate if it's one of the fastest growing sectors or it has peaked in some way. Yeah, so it's definitely the fastest uh, growing sector by just taking a look at the uh, VC funding, you know, most of the uh, most uh, companies raised uh, funding for the past three years. They are almost all of them are cloud security startups and they are able to raise billions of dollars and with uh, very high valuations. And the reason is because previously in the past decade, we are just in the first phase of cloud adoption, whereby many enterprises were very skeptical about cloud. They, they never think of cloud as, you know, part of their core infrastructure. They would just say, you know, we are still keeping 80% of our workload within our data center, but we will try to say for the rest of the 20% innovative projects, we will try to experiment it on the cloud. But after the COVID-19, you know, most of the companies now, they are, the, the, the cloud is really more than 50% of their operation. And then they need to figure out how can I do the security? How can I better protect uh, the cloud? Because now cloud is essential to your business operation rather than kind of peripheral in the past. So that's a very nice tailwind for cloud security. And then coming into the time calculation, just think about it. So for assuming that you are spending $200 billion uh, for the public cloud, then you need to, to think about how should I allocate a little bit of budget to the security. And then I would say in general, 
in the previous few years, it's about 5% uh, allocated to cloud security because most of the enterprises, they just don't care that much about security. And uh, there are just so many companies who don't even have any cloud security uh, products installed. So I would say it's 5%. But in the future, you know, more and more uh, companies got uh, hacked. They need to buy more cloud security products. So I would say they, they are going to allocate, say, 10% or even 20% of their IT budget to their cloud security spending. And then if you, so that cloud security spending is riding on the second derivative of the cloud infrastructure spending itself. And then, so let's assume that the, the public cloud spending is $200 billion per year. Then if you take that by 10%, it means that cloud security time is about twenty billion dollars uh, per year. Yeah, I'll just um, uh, follow on from that. So, the the pace of innovation in the cloud has been so rapid um, that for for a long time, cloud security has been playing catch up. Uh, cloud security has been an afterthought, and it's actually cost enterprises a, a lot of money. Uh, but now enterprises are realizing the consequences of not thinking about security more seriously. And because of that, we, we see cloud security actually growing at a, a higher rate in the future, um, higher than the overall cloud market. Um, so I, I, I think in the, say in the next 10 years, if we think about the possible size of the cloud security market, um, we, we firstly begin with the cloud infrastructure market. So I think it's plausible that in 10 years, the cloud infrastructure market would be worth about $1 trillion. And there's a, a few ways you can arrive at that estimate. Um, and then on top of that, you have platforms and services and SaaS applications, which will probably have another $1 trillion of spend. So in 10 years, I think it's plausible you could have $2 trillion of spend um, on the cloud. And so as Simon said, um, it may be a conservative 5% uh, represent, represents how much of that two trillion will be spent on cloud security. So if we apply 5%, then in 10 years, it'll be about $100 billion worth of cloud security market. But I think that is the lower end of the estimates because as Simon said, you know, um, typically the uh, security, cybersecurity in an IT uh, budget is represents about 10 or 12%. So, you know, I, I would say 150 billion is, is probably more realistic. And if you think about where cloud security is right now, the market is probably around the size of 20 billion to 30 billion dollars. So I think, um, you know, if you uh, go from there to 150 billion in about 10 years, you, you're looking at probably a 20% compounded average growth rate, which uh, is obviously very, very growthy. Um, and, um, it's, it's not hyper growth, but because it's already a, a large market, it's, um, and, and the runway is very durable. There's, there's lots of opportunities for investors in that. So, so one caveat for the cloud security growth is that, you know, it rides on this growth of cloud infrastructure and coming into 23, we're seeing a bit of deceleration in the cloud spending. You know, for example, AWS kind of growing growth slowing down from uh, 40% to just 15%. So that is going to sp slow down cloud security too. But at the same time, you know, there are years of underinvestment in the cloud security. So uh, enterprises are playing the catch up. So there's another case to be made for cloud security spending. But just think about, you know, one cloud security uh, startup with security. 
it is able to grow uh, from $1 million ARR to $100 million within 18 months, which is the fastest growing startup to reach $100 million. So I think on both parts, the demand for cloud security is still huge and the growth is still here. So we know that cloud security consists a number of different subsectors. Can you help us understand the different technology parts of a comprehensive cloud security platform that an enterprise would use? Right, yes. Uh, so um, there are many sub subsectors of cloud security, um, but I, I like to kind of just divide it into two areas, like to, to keep it simple. And I'll, I'll do that, and then Simon can uh, elaborate and go into the finer details. Um, so those two areas, well, the first area is security for building applications in the cloud. And then the second area is security for running or consuming applications in the cloud. So with the first area, secu uh, security for building applications, it, it, it entails baking in security as early as possible into the software development lifecycle. So for example, as software developers are writing their very first lines of code as they are creating a new application, uh, some of that code might be vulnerable and exploitable by clever cyber attackers. So some cloud security companies have solutions to protect against this. And then um, also developers, they are pulling in various artifacts and tools from various places on the internet um, into their environment in order to build the application. Um, and while these tools are very, very useful, they often bring with them a lot of vulnerabilities. Um, so um, there's again, there's uh, tools out, uh, there's solutions out there to protect against this that can scan for these vulnerabilities before the developer brings it into their environment. Um, and then there's security related to testing the application on the cloud infrastructure at scale, because again, there's lots of opportunities that arise for bad actors in this area also. So this area, this first area that I describe is, is commonly referred to as shift left, because if you envisage um, a timeline of a, a software development lifecycle, um, you know, the and, and 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 picture it from left to right on the left hand side of that timeline will be when the developers are first writing the first lines of code to develop the the application so that's shift left security and it's relatively nascent a nascent market but it has huge demand because because of the rapid pace of innovation in cloud in in recent years um cyber security has been an afterthought and um it has cost Enterprises a lot of money, cause them a lot of problems. But now um, enterprises are beginning to uh, think, right, security is as important as making the application itself. So we must bake in security right from the beginning of creating that software. Um, so, yeah, it's, there's, there's a huge runway of, of demand ahead for shift left. And then the, the second area is security for running or consuming applications in the cloud. So um, this is an area whether uh, it could be an enterprise has developed its own application and now it's running its run it in the cloud or an enterprise is using a third-party SaaS application. Um, so um, 
for, for either, whether an enterprise is uh, running their own proprietary app or using third-party SaaS, there are security implications. Um, so security implications from um, having the right configurations of these applications and also the infrastructure that are hosting these applications, making sure that um, user identities are correct and each user has the correct and appropriate access to the resources in the cloud, and then there's security related to protecting the data, making sure data isn't moving around where it shouldn't. Um, and also there's uh, what we call runtime security, which is security that protects these machines in the cloud and prevents them from executing a malicious file that might have been implanted by a cyber attacker. Um, and then also there's also um, a little bit related to kind of security operations. Um, there's the, the part of co collecting all these logs um, about these events that are occurring in the cloud environment and analyzing them and then responding to any threats that are seen there. So to summarize, you, you, you have uh, two areas in my simplistic mind, um, you, security for building applications and then uh, security for running and consuming applications in the cloud. So the, the shift left companies that we should uh, think about and that investors might know, what, what are they? So the, right, the hottest yeah, uh, yeah. shift. So, yeah, go so, so, Okay. So the hottest uh, shift left company is a company called Sneak. And uh, the company is growing very rapidly and uh, is expected not to file IPO uh, sometime in the next few years. So that's something investors need to be uh, keep an eye on. So that is the dedicated uh, shift left security company. But there is also a publicly traded company, GitLab. That is uh, the platform itself, GitLab, offers code rep repository whereby you can, you know, just save all of your code within GitLab. But it's, it's also recently entering the business of securing the code vis-a-vis uh, -vis shift left security. So GitLab is also a nice exposure here. And another thing is just Palato Networks. It's just everywhere. So Palato Networks, it will not to build the most comprehensive cloud security portfolio. So that includes cloud security too. So Palato Networks is also a, a very key player in the cloud security. So when you say GitLab, would, would, would we think GitHub as well, being a shift, shift left company? Yeah, so GitHub, their role is more similar to AWS, meaning that um, they don't want to do too much native security because no, they know that security itself is a very complex and sophisticated work, which they cannot handle uh, by themselves. So they build some very bare bone and very basic function for security. But if you want to have advanced shift adapt security, you have to use Sneak or GitLab or Palato Networks. Okay, and you are going to uh, elaborate some more on um, on uh, Jordan's uh, framework, Simon. Yeah. So going back to uh, you know the the building and the house and apartment analogy. So one way you can think about it is that you know previously, if you you deploy your application within your uh, data center, basically you you know you procure the land and then you need to build the building and then you need to furnish the building. But what's happening with public cloud is that you no longer need to procure land or build your own building. You can just simply rent an apartment within AWS. 
And then you're bringing your own uh, furniture and appliances to this apartment. So you are essentially renting an unfurnished apartment from AWS. And then think about how can you secure it. So there's one thing about code security, which is that before you know, thinking about sending a physical guard to secure the apartment, or before you know, checking if the door is left open or not, you need to make sure that the blueprint of the apartment is safe. You want to check if the design of this apartment is uh, secure enough. And then after you ensure that the, lay the layout, the blueprint of this apartment is secure, then you know you 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 furnish it, and then you 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 know you get it working, and then there are two ways to secure it. So one thing is just that you need to maintain the configuration. So for example, you need to make sure that the key, the access key to enter this apartment, is on your hand and it's not stolen. And sometimes maybe you need to rotate the key. For example, for every three months, you need to change the key such that there's no hacker that can come in. And another way to secure it is obviously send a physical guard to within this apartment. But previously it was not that ideal because you know uh, if you send a physical guard, you also need to cater the food, the water, the shelter for this physical guard, and then that is going to consume some resources within this apartment. And also it's going to slow down the work within this apartment. So that is not the ideal previously. And second way to secure this apartment well, from the runtime perspective is called the micro segmentation, which basically means that you want to isolate each room within this apartment such that if one room got hacked, the hacker cannot enter the other room within the apartment such that you know, it is secure enough. And within the con configuration security, um, the, the, the most successful product is called CSPN, Cloud Security Posture Management whereby you simply tell the property management saying that, hey, uh, Palo Alto Networks is responsible for my apartment security. So when they want to visit my apartment, just open the door for them. Uh, so that is, that is the way how CSPN can secure things. And then there's a CIEM, which is basically focusing on the identity, meaning that, so for example, maybe there's a visitor, a guest, want to visit my apartment, and then I issued a pass. But that pass, maybe it's only valid for one day and you want to make sure that it is expired. But what if that pass is not expired and then the guest uh, key is able to access your apartment for the next uh, one year, then it is going to be a big trouble. So you also need to manage that identity well. And then the third uh, pillar about the configuration or agentless security in the cloud is called D DSPM, which stands for data security posture management, which is really on the hype this year because of the Gen AI. And every enterprise now sees that, okay, data is actually their greatest asset. So apart from securing their work workload or, or making sure that, you know, after the hacker comes in, they, their website is not offline, they also need to make sure that after the hacker comes in, their critical data is not leaked out such that they will lose an advantage in the world of AI. So these are the uh, major categories. And then coming into the code security, um, there are many ways. So for example, uh, one quick way is to, to read the blueprint of your apartment and to check 
if there is a hole within uh, your wall or anything that allows a hacker to come in. But there's also another thing about the code security, which is called container image security, which basically means that now, nowadays, people just don't design their own apartment. They'll just use the template offered by somebody else. And then you want to make sure that, okay, if I want to copy this template and run it, I want to make sure that this template itself is pre-designed with security uh, in mind. And another way is called software composition analysis, called SCA, whereby you want to understand what are the rooms within my apartment and what are the critical components within my room that may pose a security vulnerability such that I can understand my security posture better. And the, another piece about the software supply chain security is that the most famous um, security breach in the recent year is the solar winds attack, whereby, okay, I have got everything secured. I've got my configuration secured. I have got a physical guard in my apartment, and then I have the blueprint checked. But I used a third-party template from a company called SolarWings, whereby SolarWings can come into my apartment and then go and retrieve some information out. But it just happens that SolarWings is hacked. And then SolarWings is now working for a hacker. And then you just trust SolarWings. So no matter what malicious activity that SolarWings is doing, you just don't care. You just white this SolarWings. So more and more people just realize that we also need to secure the software supply chain. We shouldn't trust everybody, even if this is a third-party contractor working within my apartment. So which of these sub-markets uh, sub within the cloud security has become mature? And which of these uh, sub-markets are newer, more cutting edge with, with higher growth potential? One way to think about it is that what, what we call convexity cloud security trinema, whereby, you know, every, everything is facing a bit of trade-off. So there is no a perfect solution. And then within this trade-off, I think there are three factors. So the one is really the ease of use and the operation. Second is the comprehensive of security. And third is the timeliness of the security. So if you think about the configuration or agentless security, it's very easy to deploy because you don't need to you know, install a physical guard to every apartment. You can simply ask uh, property management for authorization, and then you are able to protect every apartment. So it is super easy to deploy, super easy to operationalize. But it's less comprehensive because you cannot come into the apartment itself. So you don't know what's going on inside the apartment. You just gather some information outside of the apartment and try to think about, okay, if it is secure or not. But the issue with the runtime or agent-based security is that, okay, I know what's going on within the apartment and I know the real-time information about what's going on internally, but it's very hard to operationalize, very hard to deploy it. So think about, you know, deploying a physical guard. You also need to take care of that physical guards, you know, food, water, shelter, everything. And also, you also need to make sure that that guard is not compromised. That guard is not a hacker disguised in the name of a guard. And another very important issue that previously handicapped the growth of agent-based security for cloud is that 
you just need to have a huge amount of testing before that you can deploy it. So think about that if you are Amazon and then you run an e-commerce website and then you just deployed uh, agent-based security uh, solution from a startup and then it take down your entire uh, website and uh, your customers cannot access your website, say, for one hour. That is a huge amount of business value loss. Uh, so you cannot allow um, the latest uh, cloud security vendor to come in with agent-based security. But if it is agentless, I don't care about it because it won't slow down my business operation. It won't take down my website if I'm using agentless. So previously, agentless was really very hard. But in recent years, uh, more and more people are realizing that, okay, we have this, this first line of defense with agentless. But what if we want to make sure that we have the best understanding of what's going on within the apartment and how can we secure it from the real-time perspective, then you still need uh, agent-based security. Yeah, I will just add to that. So yeah, which are the kind of growthy areas in cloud security? Um, well, um, to, to, firstly, it might be worthwhile to understand kind of the more mature areas, which um, are, if you envisage the, the timeline that I talked about earlier, the software development uh, lifecycle timeline, um, and on the far left of that timeline is when in, uh, developers are writing the first lines of code to create an application. And then as, as you move from left to right, the, the application is being built, tested, etc. And then on the far right on that, of that timeline is the application in a production environment. So it's, it's live and it's interacting with users in real time. So, um, on the when cloud um, was becoming more popular, and enterprises were shifting assets and data applications over to the cloud, um, the primary focus was protecting applications when there was running in the cloud, when there was in production. That was the main focus. Uh, so during the 2010s, this was the the main focus, and um, so as um, security around running applications was fairly robust um, cyber attackers didn't have uh, as much opportunity so they thought right okay um, maybe if I go earlier into the software development life cycle maybe if I shift left across this timeline this is why it's called shift left security maybe I can find some vulnerabilities earlier um, as a, a software application is being created and um, they found a lot of success doing that and that's you know a lot of the major data breaches uh, have been because of uh, cyber attackers going further left along that timeline and um, so this has been more nascent and more growthy more innovative area because this is where cyber attackers are focusing right now so yes yeah, the kind of shift left is for me the most innovative most potential growth area uh, the right hand side is kind of more mature but within that right hand side of um, applications when they are running when they are in production um, as simon's pointed out you have the agentless solutions and you also have the agent base now, previously, um, deploying agents in the cloud uh, wasn't very feasible because 
for one, they aren't easy to deploy and they drain resources. They used to drain a lot of resources from the machines and could kind of crash crash systems and uh, bring an enterprise's operations to a halt. Um, and also, it wasn't very scalable. And, and because of the dynamic nature of the cloud, um, it, it just wasn't a, a good match. Um, however, more recently, um, there's been some innovators like Palo Alto and Sentinel One who are making very, very lightweight agents that can be scalable, uh, autonomously deployed, and they're kind of more fluid. Uh, that matches the fluidity of the, the cloud environment. Um, so now there isn't that obstacle of agent-based solution adoption. Um, we we think right, okay. So enterprises now they they have the agentless solutions that has helped them become more compliant in the cloud. But I think the next step now is to think about. Right. Okay. Enterprises are now going to think. Right. How can I get better security now? How can I get deeper, deeper visibility into what's going on? And cyber attackers are becoming more sophisticated. And um, so, how can we stop them right away? As as soon as we see them, and really, you kind of need an agent installed on these machines that can block uh, threats as they see them in real time, rather than have just telemetry sent to. Um, uh, a security analyst, and then for them to really respond to that. Sometimes that's that's too late, and the cyber attackers already caused damage. So, yeah, real-time security in the cloud, I think, is going to become more important. And to do that, you need agent-based solutions. So, I think that's a, a, a quite a growthy area. And by the way, that's called uh, cloud workload protection platforms. It seems like. Cloud security is very fragmented. As you explained, there are a lot of uh, several sub-markets and it seems like there is a uh, uh, numerous uh, players in each. Would this assessment be a fair one? If there is more fragmented than other areas of cybersecurity, why is, is that the case? Yes, um, you are right, Matthias. Um, cloud security is a very fragmented market and also, the sub-markets within cloud security are also very fragmented. Um, and kind of more, this is this isn't the case in all areas of cybersecurity, so it is one of the most fragmented areas, um, especially compared to something like network security that we covered previously. Um, and I think uh, one reason for the fragmentation is the low entry barriers. So cloud security vendors or SaaS vendors in general if they want to create something for the cloud, um, they don't have to invest heavily in CapEx because the infrastructure is provided by the cloud service providers such as AWS. So the entry barrier for, is low because of that. But, but also, um, most of the cloud security solutions at the moment are agentless. So they don't need an agent to be installed on these machines. They can use the cloud service APIs to, to protect uh, to a, a certain extent, protect the enterprise. Um, and because of this, there, there is a, a kind of lower R&D and a quicker time to market for these type of vendors because they don't need to um, develop a software agent that takes more time and takes more money. So that's another reason why the, the entry barriers are lower. Um, and also, agentless solutions are very, as Simon said earlier, very easy to deploy and, and get going with. Um, and 
that is great for customers and vendors uh, because customers in urgent need, like during COVID, when they were shifting quickly to the cloud, they needed something quick and easy to deploy in order to get them compliant and uh, secure their assets. And it's also great for vendors because vendors can uh, onboard customers really quickly because they're so easy to deploy and get customers up and running with. Um, but it's kind of a double-edged sword because it means the switching costs are now are quite low. So if I'm a cloud security vendor and I have a customer, that customer could easily just trial another vendor and um, and you know decide to move over to them if if they wanted to. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of the the entry barriers are low and that's causing the fragmentation. And, and because the entry barriers are low that is making it difficult for companies in cloud security to, to develop a moat. Um, and, and yeah, that's what's causing the fragmentation. So the few companies that are developing a moat are really the ones to watch for, for investors. Yeah, so adding to what Jordan said, another reason why it is so fragmented is because cloud, cloud, cloud itself is the most uh, growthy area of the enterprise IT. So from uh, time to time, you are going to come up with new solutions within the cloud. And then you need to figure out a dedicated security solution for this new solution in the cloud. And also, a lot of people, just a lot of startups just thought that it is very easy to, you know, do a kind of cloud version of the previous old security solution. So for example, previously it was endpoint security and then endpoint security in a cloud is another new category. And then previously there is a configuration management or vulnerability management for the on-prem world. And then you can call it cloud security for the, uh, you know, for the configura configuration management or cloud for the vulnerability management. So out of sudden you can just pick up What's the existing cloud security solution, and then add a C uh, in front of it, so cloud something security. So it just makes it super fragmented, fragmented, and VCs they want to invest in these companies because they have a great potential to to you know disrupt incumbents because now cloud cloud is in a greater demand, and I think the third reason for the fragmentation is just because that. The, the demand is so high and they can build it as a layered security. So previously, if you are endpoint security, you can only hire one guard to secure one apartment. But for the agent this, there are many ways to secure an apartment. And uh, it's just like you can hire a bunch of different security uh, guys and to check the security outside of your apartment. But if you want to secure within the apartment, at best you can only afford one guard. If you want to send multiple guards within the apartment, it's going to drain your resources very quickly. So that also helps uh, fragmentation for the cloud security. So um, I was thinking about this, preparing for this interview. If, if we think about this long term, um, do do you guys think it's going to be cybersecurity companies that delivers these services in five ten years, or is it going to be um, infrastructure companies like um, uh, cloud service providers, or or maybe an interim layer uh, uh, company like Snowflake, or where what? How do you see that playing out long term? Great question. So I think, yeah, this is 
also a big topic within the cybersecurity industry. So should you do the security intrinsically or having the native security within the infrastructure or within the platform instead of letting it handled by the third parties? And that I think both ways can happen. Um, you know, for Microsoft, for example, it has been very successful in building its own security solutions together with its own infrastructure solutions. And now security is more than $10 billion ARR for Microsoft. But on the other hand, you know, for guys like AWS, um, they wanted to partner with every possible security companies um, in the world such that their customers have the best options out there. And they can ensure that, you know, the security for the AWS is not limited by Amazon. But you, if you don't like one particular vendor, you can just choose another alternative. Or you can work with startups who can offer security for your latest solutions that no one cares about providing a new security solution for. So both, way, both things can happen. But in general, I would say the third-party solution providers have a greater advantage. Because if you think about the environment, say, for example, if you are Microsoft and you provide the security on Microsoft, but what if... Uh, your customer uh, uses both AWS and Microsoft, then Microsoft is very hard to gonna to secure AWS. Even though Microsoft can say, okay, we support AWS, but you don't even use AWS within Microsoft. How can you make sure that you, you can secure it properly? So I think that that's really the, also a big thesis for cybersecurity in general, which is that it is really hard for one, the first party to provide the first party security solution versus offered by third parties. The content of this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be considered financial advice. The hosts, Mass, Matthias, and clients of New Deal Invest may hold positions in mentioned companies. Guys, Let's try and uh, look at some of the companies. Now we have this basic understanding. So let's let's look at these public companies that has exposure to cloud security and and also give us your take of what is a promising potential investment look like. Right. Yeah. So I I think um, uh, probably the number one exposure to cloud security is is Palo Alto Networks. So they uh, with their Prisma Cloud platform and um, they are one of the cloud security leaders and we expect them to continue gaining market share so um, the differentiating factors for Palo Alto's Prisma Cloud is it is the broadest cloud security platform it has um, and also it has very high quality agentless and agent-based solutions which is quite unique because Either usually cloud security vendors kind of focus on the agentless or kind of focus on the agent base, but uh, Palo Alto has both. Um, so, yeah, um, it's it's interesting going back to the agentless. So during COVID, agentless um, saw agentless solutions saw huge demand because enterprises suddenly shifted to the cloud and needed to quickly become compliant. And there's quite a few agentless solutions available that could enable enterprises to quickly begin using them, get compliant, get secure. And this is the major tailwind for Wiz going from, uh, you know, being the quickest company of all time to get to $100 million in ARR. Um, and so Palo Alto 
networks uh, benefited from from that tailwind with the, the the demand for agentless solutions, and will continue to do so. But we also have the agent-based solutions as well. And um, as we kind of touched on earlier, we think that the next stage in cloud security is underway. And indeed, there's the shift left going on. Um, but in terms of agentless, agent-based, we think it's just going to kind of not completely shift to an agent-based focus because you need the agentless um, solutions, but there'll be more interest in agent-based solutions um, in order to get real-time protection. So, um, so uh, enterprises can block these threats by attackers as they are seen in real time rather than kind of waiting um, and um, collecting data about them and then responding at a later point, which isn't always a bad thing to do, by the way. Um, but we think, yeah, there's going to be more demand. And Palo Alto has these kind of scalable, lightweight, autonomous, very fluid agents um, uh, across the, the stack in, in the cloud. So we think they are well positioned to, to benefit there. Um, and also they, they, they have a lot of experience in agent-focused solutions because they are an endpoint security player. And as Simon said earlier, really, um, agent-based solutions which in, in the cloud, which is called cloud workload protection, is basically just endpoint security, but in the cloud. Yeah, so endpoint security is typically, all right, I've got an antivirus software on my client machine, on my laptop. Uh, cloud workload protection is just having the same sort of um, antivirus, but on a server, right? So, um, yeah, we, we think um, Palo Alto has a lot of experience because of that, um, and also they, because of their M&A, all the acquisitions that they've made recently, they, they have a real uh, elite top talent in, in their company that can help them uh, drive their cloud security. So, and, and also I think Sentinel One is a company to, to watch in this space. Indeed, they don't have great agentless solutions, but they have a very good um, agent-based solution, a very lightweight agent that is ideal for cloud native software development environments. Um, and I think it's very validating that with Security Apps earlier this year actually uh, partnered with Sentinel One uh, because with security is the agentless focused cloud security player, but as they wanted to provide more comprehensive security for their customers, they, they needed that cloud workload protection component, but we didn't have it. And it's, it's not easy to just create overnight. So they needed to partner with who they thought was the best of breed agent-based cloud security player. And they decided to partner with Sentinel One there, so that's quite validating for Sentinel One. It it seems like what with my limited understanding of all this that this name Palo Alto has come up a lot with you guys, and and yeah. they it seems like a pretty complete uh, cybersecurity company, and and also that is what the graph is showing, right? It's it's trading at all time high uh, as as we speak. Is there still more for for this or? Will it take a, on the short term, take a little bit of breather? Where is it? Like if you sit here and are not exposed towards cybersecurity, would you like hesitate a little bit uh, investing in, in Palo Alto? Or right now, would you just like any ETF or something like just to say, you know, we don't know where it's going within the next two, three, four months, but a long run, how it looks now, it's 
it's like Amazon. It it is looking like uh, some sort of winner or a, a potential the winner going going forward. Yeah. So yeah, generally, um, I would say every cybersecurity company right now is getting more expensive, um, just because uh, when everything is slowing down and the people are just fearing about you know a potential recession, but at the same time, cybersecurity spending, especially this this quarter and the last quarter, are just great and uh, actually accelerating. So that really induced a lot of investors to jump into the trade. So on that regard, yeah, I would say in, in the short term, intermediate term, these companies are really trading at very high valuation. Uh, but for the long term prospects, uh, there's no doubt, doubt that they will still going to have a lot more growth to come. But on a relative basis, we see, yeah, Palatal Networks is getting a bit more expensive and Sentinel-1 is still relatively cheaper. So that, that's one thing to think about here. And uh, go, going back to the, the way how we would uh, separate these competitors is that uh, if you think about the subcategories within cloud security, so three major subcategories, uh, configuration or agentless security, runtime or agent-based security, and then shift depth or code security, Palato Networks has the most uh, comprehensive solution out there because they have uh, acquisition and they also care a lot about having a best of the breed platform. So instead of having customers, uh, you know, uh, building the security stack uh, by buying all sorts of solutions from different vendors, Palato Networks wanted to provide, you know, one all-in-one stop shop uh, that you can go. And then for the rest of the players, for example, CrowdStrike is mostly uh, Asian-based security. And then it has a little bit of configuration security, but it's not very great. We don't hear it. It's more, mostly like a tier two configuration security company. But the great thing about CrowdStrike is that it has such a big customer base. So it can just say that, okay, we don't, we don't have the best configuration agentless security, but what if as a part of the bundle, we can offer it for free or we can offer it at like 50% of the price versus the close competitors. Then some, com- some customers are comfortable to go with CrowdStrike. And then for Sentinel-1, it has the best uh, runtime security, we would say, because the, the, the thing about it is that it is based on a technology called eBPF versus the canal-based CrowdStrike uh, runtime security. So the difference is that for Sentinel-1, if we wanted to secure an apartment, you don't need to shut down the apartment and then say we have a new guy coming in and then have this new guy come to the apartment and protect everything and then restart this this apartment. Because for example, if you are Amazon, if you want to deploy CrowdStrike, you have to stop part of your server, stop part of your website and then install the agent and then have the website going back up again. But if you are using Sentinel-1, you don't. Everything is done on the fly and it won't interrupt your normal business operation. And another thing is that this is not only for the deployment, but also for the operation. So from time to time, you need to upgrade your agent. But if you are CrowdStrike, when you are upgrading your agent, or you, if your agent just is broken, is, uh, you know, is failed, is failing down, it will break down the entire server. But if it is Sentinel-1, it won't. You can upgrade it without, you know, shutting down the service. Or you, even if Sentinel-1, you know, 
uh, is failed, and then it won't impact the rest of the operation within the apartment. So that's a good thing about Sentinel One, and also Sentinel One it has great um, information uh, that the kind of data lake uh, injecting data from all sorts of cloud players. So it is able to have the most granular insights about the agent that's security too. So we believe that Sentinel One should be able to build up its uh, agentless security solution better than CrowdStrike does. And then they are just going to release it by next year. So that could potentially be a catalyst because this is a very significant product expansion. And we believe that it has a pretty nice technology to add. And then the third player, uh, the, the, the fourth player is GitLab. So GitLab has nothing to do with agentless or agent-based technology. It's not protecting your workload. But you want to make sure that before the workload is designed, it's secure enough. So that's the, the way how uh, GitLab can gain an exposure to security. But yeah, GitLab is evaluation is very high recently. And uh, it's a pretty bifurcated stock. There are, from time to time, there are people who hate this name and there are people who like this name. And when people like this name are the marginal investors, it would drill the jump up, check up the valuation of GitLab. But we, we wouldn't be surprised that sometime in the future, GitLab will face criticism and skepticism again, and people will just say, okay, it's losing against GitHub and it should be trading at a lower valuation. So GitLab right now um, is on the other hand, so it's very much loved by investors, so we would like to wait a little bit. And then for the private companies, they are weighted security and OCA security. They are mostly in the configuration part. They have the pure agent this company and their growth was just very high. They were the fastest growing enterprise technology companies. So that is another cross validation that, you know, cybersecurity is one of the most growthy area, not with, not only within the cybersecurity, but also within the broader enterprise technology. And then there's an, also another company called Sysdig which wants to combine the agentless with agent-based technology. So kind of similar, very similar to Palo Alto Networks. And we see that it still has a little bit of uh, technology advantage. So it should be able to grow itself out too. What, what was the name again, Simon? Sysdig. So it's S-Y-S-D-I-G, Sysdig. And then the final company is called Sneak. So unlike GitLab, who owns both the code repository and the security for this code repository. Uh, Sneak is a pure shift dev play. So it means that Sneak doesn't own, doesn't control any code repo. Instead, it is able to get connected to things like GitHub or GitLab or anything else. And then you can secure your code no matter where it is. So Sneak is also growing very rapidly. And although it's offering this point solution, its ARR is close to half of GitLab. So think about that. This is a point solution company and just focusing on shift depth. And its growth is also more than 100%. So definitely, it's also um, a huge growth area uh, within the cloud security. And if you want to gain this exposure to the code security for the public company, still it is Palo Alto Networks or GitLab. And that's probably another reason why GitLab is trading such a high valuation. But we would say that uh, people need to wait a little bit uh, because its valuation is so high right now. 
So what about the the two last major um, cybersecurity companies that we might not have touched upon right now, Setscaler and uh, Fortinet? Are they how are their endeavors in in this area, and are they are they something to to look for? Yeah. So bear in mind that a lot of investors say that Zscaler is a cloud security company, but you need to distinguish the notion of security delivered from cloud and security for the cloud. So essentially, Zscaler's major business is the network security delivered from their private cloud. But Zscaler has only about 10% of the revenue or less than 10% coming from their solution for the public cloud, which they acquired the startup for the micro-segmentation security. And I think the big issue with Zscaler's public cloud security is that Zscaler's own infrastructure is their private cloud. So they don't manage their solution in the public cloud. So if you don't manage your own security in a public cloud, how can you make sure that you have the best public cloud security solution? And so uh, just bear in mind that Zscaler is not a cloud security company. If you define cloud security as security for the cloud, but yes, Zscaler has the security network security delivered from the cloud. So that's the caveat. But overall, you know, within these categories, agent-less, agent-based, and the cold security, Zscaler has very little exposure to. And then for Fortinet, uh, it's a little bit tricky because Fortinet, yes, it has agent-less technology. It also has agent-based technology. It even has its own cold security. And unlike Palo Alto Networks, Fortinet builds these solutions almost internally. They didn't acquire uh, startups uh, to do so. But the thing about Fortinet is that their focus is still mostly for the on-prem, selling their FortiGate and you know doubling down on their SD-WAN and OT security. So cloud security is just not part of their focus, even though they have a good product line, but it's just not growing uh, fast enough. But on the other hand, uh, Fortinet is also a beneficiary of the cloud security because for the cloud security, you also need to insert firewalls in the cloud. And then you either need to use Palo Alto Networks or Fortinet to have a next generation firewall in the cloud. So that's something good about Fortinet. So um so I think we 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 covered where the companies are today and sort of how how the long term um within this cybersecurity space uh looks like it uh, who's being commoditized we don't know and and is it going to be vertical integration or horizontal uh, domination we don't know but um if we focus on on the companies uh, that we've talked about here how do you see them um going forward in in this space uh, what do you see coming uh, within cloud security yeah i i think the market is going to evolve with a combination of consolidation uh, but also a, still a, a large dose of fragmentation i think that's pretty good from an investor's perspective um Like going back to how big the cloud security market is uh, right now, we said between 20 billion and 30 billion dollars. Um, just using Palo Alto Networks as an example, but uh, it could be any other the big names like Sentinel One, even CrowdStrike. Um, say um, Pri uh, Palo Alto's Prisma Clouds um, annual re uh, annual recurring revenue right now uh, or revenue is probably 
about $1 billion to $1.5 billion. Um, so even though Palo Alto, with its Prisma Cloud platform, is a cloud security leader, they still have way less than 5% of a market share. Um, but over time, we expect the likes of Palo Alto, Sentinel-1, uh, GitLab, to increase their market share in this cloud security market. So um, Palo Alto probably, you know, in, in over the years, it might increase its market share to 10%. Uh, an extreme bull case would probably say 15% market share. However, for, for a leader, that is still not a concentrated, consolidated market, right? So we think going forward, the market will consolidate somewhat. Uh, which is good for investors looking to back the winners in this space. Um, but the, the cloud is innovating at such a pace that there's always going to be new threats appear, new attack vectors. And in order to respond to them, you need a vibrant startup ecosystem because these startups are more nimble and they can react quicker and they can uh, come up with solutions that combat a specific niche threat. Um, so I, I, I think the number of startups will probably maintain in, in cloud security. It's just that they will take a smaller slice of the pie. Um, however, that's not bad because the overall pie is going to get a lot bigger over time. Um, so I think cloud security is, is very unique because, yes, um, there is going to be a degree of consolidation. But it's not going to consolidate to the point where it becomes so mature that innovation is stifled. You know, so I think that's good for investors. You're going to get the consolidation, but you're going to still have a, a big dose of innovation occurring. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, take a look at Palo Alto's um, strategy of they, every year they're monitoring about 300 different startups um, just so they keep their eyes and ears very close to the ground in terms of what um, what trends are emerging, um, and you know what 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 the market is looking for, what what solutions are coming, where are the cyber threats, um, and I, th I think that's very telling. If um, for with Matthias's question earlier about whether Palo Alto Networks is what's its future look like, well, if you have like a kind of a culture like that where you are a big big cybersecurity giant but you are monitoring 300 startups to find out what's happening on the ground i think that's very very supportive of the long-term case uh, for the long-term investment case even though it is kind of very pricey at the moment um so yeah that's that's the way i see it evolving uh consolidation but also a a, 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 a continuation of some fragmentation yeah, so adding a bit of context, so previously Palo Alto Networks uh, practice was pretty contentious because uh, people were just criticizing the company saying that, for one, uh, you cannot build a platform by just acquiring companies. Um, you know, they, they are just uh, very, you cannot have these multiple single pane of glass stitched together. And the second thing is that uh, people just think that Palo Alto Networks, after acquiring these startups, uh, they won't be able to keep the the velocity of innovation for these acquired startups. And then what turns out is that, uh, for one thing, uh, coming into 2023, uh, people are just cutting costs and they need to, to consolidate uh, their uh, vendors. So they cannot afford, say, buying, so uh, say, 20 security solutions from different vendors. And then Palo Alto Networks 
has the most comprehensive portfolio able to catering, uh, you know, several different use cases. So that's great. And also Power to Networks is able to empower the acquired startups founders. So generally, if you take a look at for other companies like Zscaler, after acquiring a startup, usually the founders were left, uh, would, would leave Zscaler, uh, after two years of probation period. But for Palato Networks, most of these founders still, uh, are, are still within Palato Networks and they are leading these business units and continuing their innovation. So Palato Networks is really defying the gravity and defying the consensus wisdom and a lot of skepticism. And that's also the reason why, you know, I, I mean, this, this year is really the year of capitulation of skeptics about Palato Networks. And that's why its share performance has been so great. But, you know, coming into the future, we, we always need to figure out what's differentiated and what are the still, you know, underdogs or uh, people's, what are the vendors still facing criticism or skepticism, but we believe that they were going to perform. So I think Sentinel One in this regard is a pretty much, you know, uh, a lesser known cloud security player because it's playing in the agent based security, but it also has great asset to build an agent less security and from that start, it is able to build a comprehensive uh, cloud security platform. So from the rate of the change perspective, I think uh, Sentinel-1's position is the most underappreciated here. So potentially a bit of potential for Alpha. And then for CrowdStrike, I think it's mixed because the, the interesting thing about CrowdStrike is that if you take a look at its core enterprise security business, it is actually growing at mid-teens. So it's slowing down dramatically, but the the reason why it is still able to grow, you know, overall growth still at higher than thirty percent is because it has expanded into the cloud security and the many other uh, non-endpoint security solutions. So CrowdStrike just see it as a nice growth uh, tailwind. But the issue with CrowdStrike is that it seems like most of the people are very optimistic about its cloud security solution. But if you think about its agentless security, it's definitely not best of the breed. We don't hear it often when others are buying an agentless security solution. And even for wage security or power to network security, when they are, uh, you know, having competitive reviews or comparisons, uh, we don't see CrowdStrike, the name coming up in terms of agentless security. And then for the agent based security, uh, the, the issue with CrowdStrike is that, uh, it has pretty not, it has a good solution, but not a great solution versus Sentinel One. So overall, you know, it's kind of like a tier two or tier 1.5 player in the cloud security. And it's growing pretty rapidly because its revenue base is so slow. You know, it's cloud security business is just passing 100 million ARR. Well, it's overall ARR is like $2.6 billion. So, you know, it's just like less than 10% of its overall business. So therefore it is able to cross a sale to its existing customers. But the next question is, okay, after you penetrate substantial amount of early adopters within your customer, how can you sell these less uh, performance, less quality uh, solution to others? Um, unless you can sell it at a lower price. So I, I think CrowdStrike uh, cost security potential may be a bit of uh, overpriced. And then for GitLab, uh, we believe that, yeah, it has great potential in the code security. But, you know, given its valuation right now, 
it's probably very much pressing. But we, we wouldn't be surprised that in the future, uh, GitLab will be facing criticism and skepticism again. And then by that time, it will be a great uh, name to add. And also in the future, Sneak and Wizard Security, they will be very likely going to go IPO. And just think about the Wizard Security valuation. It's valued at more than $10 billion. And the company is just three years old. So that is a very high valuation. And uh, its VC investors were expecting a lot from Wizard Security. They predicted about $10 billion of ARR for the next decade, which means that Wizard Security, if really successful, is going to be at the size of Palo Alto Networks too. And that's also what the, the, their founders vision. So it's pretty interesting. And overall, I would say the consolidation is going to happen at the short term, but it's going to consolidate within these mature technologies. But for the latest technologies within cloud security, many more startups will come up, and some of which may be acquired by Palo Alto Networks. But for the existing consolidation, uh, Palo Alto Networks, the winner, Crowdstrike, the winner, but maybe too much pricing. And then Sentinel One, it, it is still trying to consolidate. So, uh, and it's on their product roadmap. So it's not something reflected by the market yet. Actually, that, I was a little surprised that, that uh, you, Jordan, said so, that so little, uh, Palo Alto would have, have so little market share in the future. And, and it feels like you answered that, Simon, that that it's so complex and development is so fast that you're 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 constantly going to have the the leading edge being very fragmented between startups and um and stuff so you don't really get the uh, economies of scale that that I would sort of have thought that would eventually dominate this but maybe it's not going to be mature for for a long time what do you think about that Jordan maybe Yes, well, cloud cloud security, well, the, the cloud environment, um, and this kind of goes for cybersecurity more broadly. You know, the the industry is very unique because of this adversarial nature. You know, no, pretty much no other tech industry, uh, tech sector anyway, has this adversarial nature where you got these sophisticated cyber attackers thinking of new ways on how to get to data and assets and disrupt operations. Um, and they're always going to be doing that because the profits in in doing uh, in executing things like ransomware is 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 so so high. So they're always going to be doing that, and therefore there's always going to be the need for new solutions to combat these new threats. And we we know that um, kind of the bigger companies uh, are less nimble, and it, it's difficult to respond to all these numerous threats that are appearing on a daily or weekly basis. So um, you need that startup ecosystem. So um, that's why, yeah, I, I personally don't see, I mean, going from 5% to potentially 15% market share for Palo Alto in a, a very fast growing market is is going to be very, generate very good returns for investors. Um, but it's, it, I, I don't really see it going much more than that, um, just because of the, the nature of the industry. Yeah, so yeah, it just, it just depends on how cloud security is going to evolve. So, you know, for uh, mature solutions like CSPM or CWPP, I think 
they are very mature and uh, power to networks should consolidate further. And also in emerging places like DSPM, uh, power to networks has just acquired the best of the great startup. So overall, I would say power to networks has a good chance to increase its market share and uh, consolidate further. Um, but at the same time, you know, if there are emerging categories of cybersecurity continue to come up, then yes, it's going to be harder for the incumbents uh, to grow and uh, catch up. Yeah, it's been it's been amazing. Uh, one of the things I've been thinking about is is how how um, this complexity that you describe in the cloud, all these workloads, all these apartments, uh, people coming in and out, and so many apartments in those buildings, and so many things happening. It it just makes my head totally spin about the uh, the number the, of of where compute is today and the capabilities of of what we can monitor and what we can do and yeah it's it's so amazing it's been so inspiring so um uh, thank you so much for another great episode and for you listeners uh go back and listen to to the previous three episodes um to to gain more uh knowledge about cybersecurity and we will uh, have a fifth episode which will be about uh Jordan maybe just uh one line Yep, that's going to be on identity, the fourth pillar of cybersecurity. Thank you, guys.